Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift, the gift that is in you. It was the given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Terry. All right, so we're covering the whole chapter. I had Terry read those because uh, it would be long to read the rest. Um, and those are really the place where we're going to focus in, the place where we're going to land. Um, we, we live in a world of self-determination, within and without the church. I mean, culturally, the, the air that we breathe and the place that we were born um, tells us that we are in charge of our own destiny. We are the masters of our own fate. We control our lives, and no one else has a right to tell us what to do or how to live. I was having a conversation with somebody recently just talking about the church, and this is not a believer, not someone who, who is a follower of Jesus in any way. Um, they know that I'm a pastor, and so we were talking about um, just life in general and how we live our lives. And um, he said something about, like, well, well, you can't tell people how to live, right? And I was like, well, I actually, kind of in the church, like, that's, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> like, we help each other to live. And um, he was kind of like, but you can't, you can't force people. And I was like, no, no, we don't force each other. But in the church, we live interdependently, and we recognize, I hope that you recognize, uh, that none of us individually is wise enough to make all the right decisions for ourselves. Nobody is. And so if you came in thinking that you're wise enough to make all of your own decisions about your life by yourself, you're wrong. That's just the fact. <laughs> none of us is wise enough to run our lives on our own. But that's exactly the world in which we're born. That's exactly the culture in which we live that tells us that we make our own decisions, we do our own thing, and no one else has a right to speak into that. And when we come into the church, we give up that right. When we follow Jesus and we join the church of Jesus Christ and we walk as disciples of Jesus together, we give up the right to self-determination. We give up the right to make all our decisions by ourselves. We are voluntarily asking other people within the church, hey, can you help me make decisions about my life? All too often, we treat the church uh, it backwards from that. We go make our own mistakes, and then we come to others to ask for help cleaning it up. And there just comes a point when you've been working with, walking with certain people in relationship with certain people where you want to go, if you didn't consult me on the front end, don't come to me on the back end. You know? Like, we've been down this road too many times, and if, unless you come and ask me to help you with the decision up front, don't ask me to clean up your mess. Now, that's, that's the attitude I have after people have come to me multiple times over the same kind of stuff because they've made bad decision after bad decision. That's 
honestly not the posture we're supposed to take to each other, okay? That's just how I respond, right, in my natural self, in my heart. But within the church, the ideal is that we're walking with each other in life and we're helping one another make these big decisions. We're helping one another with the decisions in life. We're not only coming to the community after we've made a mess of things, but we're asking for help on the front end. Now, necessarily, when we step into the church, when we come to Jesus, that's what we're doing. We're bringing a mess to the foot of the cross. We're bringing a mess to Jesus and saying, Jesus, look what I did. Can you help me? Can you forgive me? Can you empower me to make better decisions? And Jesus says, yes, here's my Holy Spirit, and here are my people. Here's my Holy Spirit, and here's the wisdom of this community to walk with you. That's why we have the church. We, we don't come here just for our own personal, individual Holy Spirit download on the weekends so we can live life individually through the week. We come here to cement the relationships that will help us and that will walk with us and that will point us to Jesus throughout the week. Christianity is not a Sunday morning activity. It's not a once a week gathering that we do. Walking with Jesus means walking with a community of people who we are inviting into our lives. I have a good friend and a mentor who said, um, until I'm allowed to meddle in your life, I'm only the pastor of the church you attend. I am not your pastor. I'm not your pastor until I'm allowed to meddle. And I invite you to meddle in my life too. When we come and we join the church, we're allowing, we're, we're inviting people to meddle in our lives. Not everybody who you're sitting around, okay? Not everybody in the church, but you're asking church leadership. You're asking the people that you walk in community with. You're asking the people who follow Jesus with you, who are discipling you and who you're being discipled by. You're inviting them into your life to meddle. That's how we pastor each other. That's how we walk this road together. Coming to Jesus means also coming to the place where I'm vulnerable enough with the community of Jesus' followers to say, hey, I've made this mess, and I need you to walk with me. I keep making bad decisions, and I need you to help me. Clearly, the way that I'm running my life is not working, or the way that I'm running my life is not most honoring to Jesus. So we're inviting people in. Now, that's a two-edged sword. Because on the one hand, we invite people in, in vulnerability, when we know we've made a mess. And once we've done that, we're also inviting them in to help us see our blind spots where we don't know we've made a mess. And we're giving them permission to say to us, hey, you know that thing you're doing? Hey, I see the relationships you have, and I'm not sure you're approaching them the way God wants you to hey, I see that thing that you're doing and I don't think it honors Jesus. When we invite people into our lives to help us clean up the messes, we're also welcoming them into our lives to show us blind spots. And that's usually where the rub comes. Because I only want you to touch the things that I gave you permission to touch. I only want your advice in the places where I told you I understand I'm wrong. I don't want you to speak into the places where I, I think I'm right, but I'm really wrong. I, I don't want you to do that. And that's usually where the conflict happens within the church. Is that we've said, hey, come in, help me with this thing, but the rest of my life, I'm going to hold back here. We do that with each other, 
And worse, we do it with God. We do it with God himself. We do it with the Holy Spirit. We're like, hey, this part of my life I realize is messed up and I need your help with. But this stuff over here I'm pretty comfortable with. So just don't, just leave that alone. Don't touch it. We get really uncomfortable. But here in the church in Ephesus that Timothy is leading, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you're going to have to meddle. Your people are believing some wrong things. And it's leading them to wrong actions. And it's hurting the community. And you, Pastor Timothy, are going to have to step in and correct those things. And not only that, you're going to have to equip and empower the people of your church to do the same thing. To step in and to speak up in places where people don't think they're wrong. And he realizes this is going to cause conflict. He realizes this is going to be a problem. It's going to be hard for some people to accept. But that is the mission of the leadership of the church. That's what Paul is calling Timothy to. So the very first thing he says in these first five verses here is that you've got false teachers who are in your church. He's already talked about this back in chapters 1 and 2. People have come into the church and they're teaching doctrines that are not true. They're teaching wrong things about God and how God relates to people. And when we do that, we harm people. This is not merely some like esoteric belief that you, that you hold out here. This has real life consequences. Wrong teaching about God has real life consequences for individuals and for the community. And Paul is calling that out. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, the doctrines of demons are coming into your community. You've got people teaching wrong stuff. They're teaching abstinence, like complete abstinence from marriage. Like don't get married at all. They're teaching to abstain from certain foods. Those foods are unclean. Don't eat those. Right? Don't, don't get involved in, don't get married because marriage involves sex and sex is bad because the body's bad. Don't eat these foods because they're unclean and they're bad. And Paul is saying, no, no, no Timothy, you, you've got to stop that because it's harming your community. It's harming your people. It's causing division within your church. It's causing division within your community. And it's causing people to live in a way that is counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to say, uh, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. One of the central teachings of the Christian faith and of the Bible itself is that creation is good. That these physical bodies we inhabit, they're actually good. That the created physical world is a good thing. And at this time... In church history, you had some people who denied that. And they would come into the church and they were trying to like so over-spiritualize everything that they would say, actually, the physical stuff is bad. The physical body is bad. The physical creation is evil. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get freedom from that. We're trying to become free from the physical constraints and the suffering of the world. It's a very kind of Buddhist, Hindu kind of understanding of the world where the, the real goal is total freedom from the physical. And what is really good is the spiritual. And this worked out two ways. Some groups would say the physical is evil, the physical is bad, but you're a physical being and what you do with your body doesn't matter, so be free. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. 
And so God is not concerned what you do with your physical body, what you eat, what you do, the things that you do, what you put into it, who you sleep with. God doesn't care because the physical body is bad and it's going to burn away and all that really matters is what you do spiritually. And so you get that, you get that group. And then on the other side, you've got the group that says, because the physical is evil, you should deny as much of the physical world as you can. You should deny as many physical pleasures as you can. Deny yourself certain foods, deny yourself sex, deny yourself these pleasures and these desires because they're evil, and instead focus on your internal spiritual life. And both of those are heresy. Both of those are wrong. Both of those teachings harm people irreparably. The Bible is clear that the physical is good. God made us embodied creatures for a reason. He gave us desires for a reason. And we are to indulge those desires in their time and place. That we should seek the fulfillment of physical pleasure within its certain proper boundaries where we can truly enjoy it for all that it is. And so God's, Paul here is saying, don't listen to those people who are telling you to not eat certain foods. As long as it's consecrated to God, it is good for you. Eat away, my friend. Have that pork sandwich. Okay, It is delicious. Don't deny yourself. Get married and have sex. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul will say, if you can't control yourself, get married and have babies and don't withhold sex from each other. Paul makes it very clear. Sex is a very good thing within the context of a one-woman, one-man relationship, marriage relationship, committed, eternal relationship. And so Paul's saying, those physical desires, they're actually good. God gave them to you. And the physical world is good because God made it and pronounced it good. And so you don't need to deny those things. But you also don't just get to be hedonistic and do whatever you want. You have to take care of this body and use it in the way that God intended. And so... Paul begins by telling Timothy, look, these false teachings, they're not just random beliefs out there. They have real consequences. They have real life consequences and they're hurting your people and you have to stand opposed to them. And today in this age, in this time and place, in this culture, we're in the exact same situation. There are a lot of false beliefs within our churches. There are a lot of false beliefs within this room. And it is the responsibility of the teachers of the church, of the leaders of the church, to let you know you're believing wrong things, believing lies. And they, it matters that you believe these lies. It hurts you and your soul. It hurts your family. It hurts the community. We have all believed lies about God at some point. We've all believed wrong things. And the problem is that beliefs have consequences because they show up in our actions. In fact, if you want to know what someone believes, listen to what they say, but more importantly, watch what they do. Because we live according to our beliefs. We do what we believe. And so we can say all kinds of stuff and then directly contradict those with the way that we live. We can say all kinds of things with our mouths and then contradict them with the actions that we take and the choices that we make. You want to know what somebody believes? Watch what they do. You want to know what you really believe? 
Think about the decisions that you make on a daily basis, the choices that you make, the things that you do with your body. Those will tell you what you really believe. Look at how you spend your time. Do I honor my relationship with God? But I don't pray. I don't read the scripture. I don't gather with God's people. Then I probably don't actually believe that my relationship with God matters. I believe my relationship with my wife is, in, is incredibly important. In fact, it is one of the central relationships of my, li- of my life. But we never actually talk. We're basically roommates who live in the same place. And if we're not talking about our kids and this job that we have as parents, we're not really talking. Then I don't really value my wife. I don't really value that relationship. I say I do. Because we're doing this thing called parenting together. But if that's really all we're doing, then I'm not investing in that relationship. And I'm contradicting the thing that I say with my mouth. We all do this. We all have beliefs that we contradict with our actions. And the thing is, I don't think we're not lying when we say we believe those things. It's just that those beliefs are aspirational. They're what we want to believe. And now the task is to bring our actions in line with them. And that's what Timothy is tasked with doing here. Timothy, the leader of the church in the city called Ephesus, is tasked with helping the people to bring their beliefs, their actions in line with their beliefs. And that's the task of the Christian life. That's the task that we're doing from the moment that we meet Jesus and begin following him until the moment that we actually meet him face to face after death. All of the Christian life is about bringing our actions in line with the things we say we believe. That's what discipleship is. That's what being apprenticed to Jesus is. We come to Jesus and on the basis of our soul belief, on the basis of us saying, Jesus, you're my king and I want to be like you, Jesus says, you're good, you're forgiven. Now let's bring those actions in line with what I've already called you. And so if up to this point you've been feeling a little trodden on, a little put down because I say your actions don't match your beliefs, no one's do. The Christian life is entirely then about knowing who we are in Christ and bringing our actions in line with that reality. Bringing our actions in line with who God calls us through Jesus, his children, beloved, holy, empowered. And so that's the goal here. The goal is not to put people down. The goal in in standing opposed to false teaching is not to demean people or to insult them or to put them down or to belittle them in any way. It is to help them bring their life in line with who God has called them through Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a community, to help one another become like Jesus in our actions just as we've already become like him in our spirits and in our hearts through the washing of Jesus' blood. And so Paul calls out Timothy and says, hey man, it's time. you got to stand opposed to these things. you got to stand opposed to this asceticism that says the body is bad. Let your people know they can eat. Let your people know they need to get married and have babies. <laughs> Let your people know that they can, they can pursue their desires that the body and the flesh and the physical things are not bad. And the funny thing is Paul then goes on to talk about spiritual training. 
And so he's talking to Timothy, and he's saying, look, if you point out these things, if you point out the false teaching, and you help people believe the right stuff about God, then you're doing good. But don't, don't get drawn into ridiculous arguments, Paul says. Right here in verse uh, 7, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way. So Paul is saying, look, you train your body. You exercise, you eat right, you treat your body well. And that's good. But it's less important than training yourself in godliness. That is pursuing purity, pursuing holiness in thought and in action. Trying to be like Jesus, pursuing Christ-likeness in my life. Pursuing the kind of life that Jesus gives me. And so Paul says, yeah, just like you would train your body, you need to train your spirit. And this is a good word for us right now because... I grew up in a tradition that said you pray a sinner's prayer and you go to church and then things will just kind of naturally happen and you'll kind of naturally become like Jesus. And that's not true. It isn't true that we become like Jesus by osmosis. We can't just come to church. We can't just say a prayer once and suddenly we'll become like God. We'll become who God wants us to be. It takes work. Holiness takes work. Work. Becoming like Jesus takes work. It won't just happen. We have to invest in it. We have to do the stuff. We have to discipline our spirits. Discipline our souls just like we discipline our bodies. We have to pray. And it is a practice to pray. It is hard. If it's difficult and uncomfortable for you to pray, welcome to the club. It is for everybody. It's something that we grow in. It's something that we practice. If reading the Bible is really boring to you, welcome to the club. It takes time and effort to investigate God's word and to grow in love with it. If being disciplined to be with God's people and to go to church and spend time with them or join a small group is difficult and inconvenient for you, welcome to the club. It's part of the work that we do to become more like Jesus. Growing in spiritual maturity takes effort. And in a world where we want to have things done quickly, in a world where we want to be at the end quickly, that doesn't value the kind of discipline that it takes to master something, this is hard. And we've been indoctrinated with the idea that when we come to Jesus, our sins are all forgiven and therefore we're good with God and there's no more work to be done. And that's caused us to think that this Christian life ought to be simple. And we ought to just get all the blessings and stuff from God for saying, Jesus, I believe in you. And that there's no effort now required to become like Jesus. But the whole of the scripture speaks against that. The whole of the scripture tells a different story. That our walk with Christ is a discipline that we do together, not alone. This is the great problem with thinking that I can have a relationship with Jesus apart from the church. 
I cannot grow in discipline. I cannot grow in Christ-likeness if I'm not connected to the community of people following Jesus. I need you. And I'm saying this as your pastor. I'm saying this as a pastor of Christ Community Church. I need you to grow in Christ-likeness. If it were just up to me, if it were just me trying to live this life, I would fail. I would. When my wife goes away, if I'm left totally alone at home, with no one around, no accountability whatsoever, I don't like the things that start happening inside my heart. I don't like the lack of discipline that I show. I have a really hard time being by myself and disciplined. When I get by myself, I just get tired and I don't want to do anything. I want to veg out, play a video game. And I, I need people in my life. I need my wife at home. I need my children there. I need you. I need to know that people are coming to my house on Thursday night, so I'll clean it up. <laughs> I need to know that you're there with me, that you're going to be in my life, that you're going to see the way that I treat my children and the way that I treat my wife. I need to know that you're going to be an integral part of my life and are going to help me walk toward Christ-likeness. We do this together. We're not left on our own to walk this road of discipline. And so Paul finishes up here toward the end, and he says to Timothy, command and teach these things. Now, it's not entirely clear what he means by these things here, but I think it's about the training in godliness. I think Paul is telling Timothy, look, I've just told you, you need to train yourself in godliness, and now I want you to go and teach these things to other people. Command them, teach them, and then he goes on to say, model it for them. In fact, Paul says, look, you're young, dude, and people are not going to respect you because you're young. But if you model Christ-likeness, if you model being like Jesus for people, you'll gain and earn their respect, and you'll show them what it is to live for Jesus. Because Paul knows that beliefs are caught, not taught. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy here, he knows that as much as you want to teach Timothy and as much as teaching is important and it is essential to people's lives, I also know that your teaching can be overlooked. People can close their ears. But when you live and you walk together and people see the example of your holy life, they will catch your vision. They will catch your character. They'll catch your beliefs. And this is the last reason that being in this Christian community is so incredibly important because we are being shaped 24-7 by the world to believe various things that are opposed to Christ, that are opposed to the gospel. Every single day throughout the day, our beliefs are being shaped by media, by culture, by the stuff that we're watching, the stuff we're listening to, the people that we're hanging out with. And you cannot counter hundreds of hours of shaping that happens throughout your week with one hour on Sunday morning. It can't be done. We cannot counter all of the belief-shaping ideas and thoughts out there that we're taking in all throughout the week with one hour on Sunday morning and one sermon that we may or may not listen to. I know some of y'all don't listen to me. It's fine. I don't always listen to me. The vitality of being involved in Christian community 
is surrounding ourselves with like-minded people who are also pursuing Jesus, who are pursuing holiness, trying to become like him, and allowing our beliefs to be shaped by that community. Our beliefs are shaped by the people that we're around and by the character of the people that we're around. This is why we can say that bad company corrupts good character, right? Good character can kill bad character, right? Surround yourself with people who are pursuing Jesus as well. Because we can't detox from all the ideas that our culture is trying to imbue us with if we're only spending one hour a week in worship together on Sunday morning. This is the, why it's essential to be involved in Christian community. And so Paul finishes here. Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This is our goal. This is what we're all reaching for. Every single one of us who are following Jesus ought to be following him with the goal of setting an example for our community and for the world in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity, which is to say in holiness. The word translated purity here is the Greek word for holy, becoming like God, becoming like Jesus, conforming my life to his. That's our goal as a Christian community. That's our goal when we gather together and we, we work with one another and we lead one another to the foot of the cross, we lead one another to Jesus, is that we would be formed into the image of Jesus so that we can set an example for our world in speech, conduct, love, faith, and holiness. We get to be on display for everybody. We get to show the world what Jesus looks like when he walks among them. We get to show our friends, we get to show one another what Jesus looks like when he walks with us. My deepest desire, and I hope yours is too, is to be Jesus to the world. I desperately want, when I leave a relationship or when I leave a time with someone, for someone to feel like they've spent time with Jesus. I mean, that's my highest aim. I know it doesn't happen often, and if you spend some time with me, you, you probably did not leave feeling that way. Right? But, but my deepest desire, my goal in life, is that after every conversation I have, after every encounter I have with people, people are like, I feel like I just spent some time with Jesus. Have you ever known somebody like that? I mean, not many of us have, I don't think. I had a friend, Robbie. I might have told you about Robbie before, but it was so long ago you forgot. I had a friend, Robbie. Robbie was one of the most spiritual people I've ever known. Like, would make you uncomfortable. Because all he ever talked about was Jesus and what was happening in his life and what God was doing. And he always wanted to pray. He always wanted to pray. To the point that I was like, oh, man, like, we, we prayed when we met, we prayed five minutes ago and we're praying now. I'm like, Jesus has been here the whole time. But Robbie was so connected to God, he couldn't have a conversation with another person without including Jesus in the conversation because he had that presence of God with him all the time. And he didn't treat God like some third party who's out there. He treated like God like someone who was with him when he walked into a room. And when you talk to Robbie, you couldn't spend time with him without getting the sense that we're not alone here. There's somebody else here. And I would leave my encounters with Robbie sometimes deeply uncomfortable because I was like, 
this is, I, I'm not there, right? I'm not Robbie yet. But I would also leave just knowing here is someone who experiences the presence of God all the time. He has an awareness of God with him all the time. He knows Jesus. And when I spend time with Robbie, I want to be more like Robbie because Robbie's trying to be like Jesus. I want to know him that way. I want God to be that real to me. So my, 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 my goal in life when I grow up is to be like Robbie, who's just trying to be like Jesus. And to walk everywhere remembering that I don't go anywhere by myself. I've got the presence of God with me all the time. I've got Jesus right here with me. And to never talk about God as though he's some disembodied thing out there, but to talk about God as though he's right here, present with me. And yes, it will make people uncomfortable. Inside the church, it'll make people uncomfortable. But we need a little more discomfort because we've gotten too complacent. We've gotten too used to the idea that God is just kind of out there. And we have to be reminded regularly that God is right here. This is why Jesus can say, where two or three are gathered, I am there with them. And so we do this. We, we, we walk in community together. We hold one another accountable. We, we counter false teaching. We pursue Christ-likeness because we know that our beliefs are caught and taught and because we know that it is the community that shapes us. And we step into this community vulnerable, hands open, saying, I am a sinner and I need your help. I'm a sinner and I need your wisdom. I, Brandon, am saying to you now, I am a pastor and I am a sinner and I need your help. And you need each other's help to walk this road with Jesus, not in guilt and shame, but because he has freed us from guilt and shame. Not in legalistic trying to perform for God, but because when we look upon Jesus, we know there's nothing we could desire that would be better for us than to be like him in every way. We join hands and we walk together, not to bring shame upon us and not to put one another down, but to lift each other up and to become like Jesus in community because there's no other way to be like him. We can't do this by ourselves. We walk together down this road. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you to pursue that community. You can do that through gathering with a small group of Christians on a regular basis. You're welcome to my house every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. for a meal and just time together following Jesus. You can come and pray tomorrow night at 7 p.m. together. You can find some people in this room right now and just say, hey, you want to have coffee? Let's pray and talk about Jesus. You can intentionally talk about God. And if you want to learn how to have spiritual conversations because you're not used to that and because it's weird for you, come and talk to me. I would love to help you learn what it is to be able to have a spiritual conversation with someone when you've never done it before. This takes intentionality and it will cause discomfort. But the road to becoming like Jesus is one that we can only walk together with discipline as we pursue him as a community. And so I invite you to commit to community. If you want to follow Jesus, commit to community. Join a small group. Gather with others to pray. 
Intentionally have those spiritual conversations with others. Read the scripture. Pray yourself. Now's the time to lean in. Now's the time to lean in to community when we've all been robbed of it for a couple of years. We need it more than ever right now. God, would you give us the vulnerability and the brokenheartedness over our own sin, over the mess of the world, to step into community with other believers and to say, here's my heart. Knowing that we're opening ourselves to hurt, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to lean into community, lean into following you together with others, opening our lives and saying, you, you are invited to speak into my life. You are invited to shine a light into the dark places. You are invited to call me out when you see something that's wrong, and to always, always, always as a community do this in love, pursuing Jesus together so that we can all become more like you in our character, so that we can all set an example for one another in speech and in faith and in love and in conduct and in purity, becoming holy together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org. 